Best? Yeah. Oh, yeah, we did in the camera. Uh, yeah. Uh, 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 what? <laughs> You've been working or what? And then you just slept in? <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Yesterday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm in today right now. Yeah. 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 Okay. Help me. You want me to push it back? How much time do we have? A minute. Oh. You heard that, Enrique? All the way back. <laughs> Thank you, Jazz. <laughs> What's up? More this way? My way? Okay. <laughs> okay. I like <laughs> Right here? <laughs> right here? <laughs> that's true, that's true. Let me move it. Yeah. That's what I Let me make sure that this. You can hear me? Great. I like technical difficulties. Yeah, give me a thumbs up when it's good. All right. Hello, hello, everybody. How's it going? How are you guys doing? Good. It's good uh, to see all of you here at, the, at uh, this wonderful place where we call home, Encounter Church. Um, we are starting this new series called Philemon. Uh, it's uh, looking at a new book called Philemon. Uh, it's not Philemon. It's uh, <laughs> if you thought <laughs> Philemon, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Philemon, yeah. And it's uh, one of the. It's it's probably really hard to find in your Bible because it's one of the smallest books. It's only one chapter. It only has 25 verses, so you could easily read it in maybe 10 minutes. If you're a fast reader, maybe in five minutes. Um, but even though it's a small book, um, it's a life-changing letter. And I, I really hope that as we spend time through this, um, you know, we'll thank God for this letter. Because in this letter, we see reconciliation and other themes of our faith, of what, of what we believe in um, as Christians. So... Again, if you have your Bibles, please open it up with me to the book of Philemon. It is after the book of Titus and before the book of Hebrews, and it's in your New Testament. Um, so, yeah, towards, towards the back. All right. And again, we don't have a projector here, um, so, you know, you can't just look up. But we do have it in your notes, too, so you can look at it there. It's on one of the pages. Um, yeah, so, 
<clears throat> okay. So we'll be reading the first seven verses today. And it goes like this. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. Verse 2. Also to Aphia, um, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4. I always thank my God as, a, as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. And if you have some time, maybe throughout this week, you meditate on this, on this letter as we are going to spend some time on this book. But without going any further, let us all pray. Today, Father, we, we rely on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that is present in this room, we rely on you. We don't rely on human abilities or technology. We rely on your Spirit. And I pray, Lord, that through your spirit, you may speak to us, you may bring comfort to us, and whatever words are spoken, Lord, I really pray that your spirit may, may take them to the hearts of, of your people, that it may change hearts, it may refresh hearts. I pray, Lord, that we may rely on you and just witness your beauty and majesty today. Let us trust in you, in Jesus' name. Amen. So by way of introduction today, of introducing this book, I would first want to look at this person named Paul. And since we have this whiteboard, uh, we don't have a projector, but I've always wanted to use a whiteboard um, to teach. It could be fun. Um, and you guys also have notes, so if you guys want to write down and do your drawing skills um, and practice that. And I know that doodling is a great way to learn as well and to like retain information. So we, we included in your notes two boxes. If you want to fill them in, that's great. Um, but anyways, so we have a person named Paul. Okay? And we're going to talk about this individual named Paul. Okay? Um, who is this individual? Why is he important? Why are we reading his letter? And another person that we're going to look at by way of introduction is Philemon. Who is this person that he's addressing? And then finally, we're going to talk about the church. Um, and we'll, we'll spend time looking at that individually, all of them. But um, without going any further, let's look at Paul. Uh, and the reason that we're looking at Paul is that if you look within your Bible, the first verse, it says that this is a letter written by Paul. He introduces himself within the first words. He says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. People have seen Paul as the most influential 
person in the Christian faith besides Jesus, of course. He wrote a lot of the letters that we have within our New Testament. And the churches, ever since the conception of the church, churches have been reading them, teaching them. They were very formative to what the church became. Um, and the letter that we see here, the letter of Philemon, is without exception. Although it is a smaller letter and is often overlooked, it's super, super important. But before we look at this letter, I want us to think about how, how did Paul become so admirable, so influential? Paul's origin story is interesting. He grew up with the Jewish name uh, Saul, but he always referred to himself as Paul. Um, Paul was his Greek name, um, so he, he went by his Greek name, but he was Jewish. That's why uh, he had the Jewish name Saul. He, he was from the tribe of Benjamin, um, but he was also Roman. He was Roman by birth. He was... Uh, he had the citizenship as, as a Roman. Um, he was religiously an Orthodox Jew, just like his family. And he received a thorough form of education. So we could put that as well. He was educated as well. Um, he knew the Bible very well. Um, and he was super bright about the matters of theology of the Bible. But when Jesus came into the picture, saying that he was the Messiah, and when the church began following Jesus, Paul didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. So you could write that he had an unbelief, um, or did not believe, did not believe in Jesus at first. In Jesus. And I'm going to put at first. Okay. He did not believe in Jesus at first. Oh, good thing it wasn't over here. But, but um, yes, he didn't believe in Jesus at first. Actually, Paul believed that the Jews who were following Jesus were heretical, that they were believing in a false god. Christians in the mind of Jesus were distorting the good book, the Old Testament, the Bible. So Paul took it up upon himself to purify the Jewish religion by exterminating Christians. He began persecuting Christians. So I'll write in a little bit, but he, he persecuted Jesus' followers. Um, in, in fact, he was the first one who, who uh, martyred, who killed, who uh, he officiated the murder of the first martyr, um, the first person who died for the faith, which was uh, Stephen. So he persecuted Christians. Okay. So we have this person who believes that Christians are following a false god. He was fiercely committed to eradicating apostasy. And it's crazy. That this man went above, above and beyond to deal with Christians. But suddenly everything changed for him. Paul was going to Damascus to persecute Christians. And you could find this all in the book of Acts. And on his way to Damascus, he suddenly had an experience with our Lord Jesus Christ. 
In Acts 9, 1 through 5, and I'll read it. You don't have to open it. But it has this story talking about Saul. It says, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that is Christians, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell, on, fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And this figure who appeared to him said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He replied, so, so Saul, as we see here, was breathing out murderous threats against Christians. But Jesus met him and confronted him. And Saul's life forever changed. After meeting Jesus, Saul was never the same. Paul was never the same. So after... Meeting Jesus. His life changed. Okay. His entire life changed. And it's it's a, a crazy experience. Paul, he was he converted. He he went from a Jew who persecuted Christians to a Jew who now followed Christ. Paul then, after this conversion experience, he went to the deserts in Arabia where he spent time with the Lord. And there he was prepared for his global ministry. He, he had a global ministry that reached all areas of, what, of the known world during his time. Paul went to several countries on mission trips. He successfully started a lot of church plants. And Paul began, began to gain prominence within the Christian movement. This ex-church persecutor gained so much influence that he was able to confront Peter about concerns that he had. Paul, an ex-church persecutor, confronting Peter. Just think about that. We've, we've learned about Peter. Peter was the spokesperson of the apostles. He was one of the main followers of Jesus. And here's Paul. He was persecuting Christians, and now he could confront Peter. Evidently, Paul was respected within the Christian church and had received the title Apostle. He even gained support from Christian churches to help him plant churches. The churches gave finances to help Paul. And Paul eventually started this one church in Colossae, which is the church that he's actually writing to in Philemon. And he introduces himself as Paul. A prisoner of Christ Jesus. A prisoner of Christ Jesus. And that's part of the reason why we have this beautiful drawing by Elida, uh, of him in prison. Um, because he introduces himself as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And it's, it's crazy. Because Paul started as a persecutor, as a person who would take Christians to prison... He, he murdered followers of Christ, and now he himself became a prisoner of Jesus Christ. 
typically, if you read Ephesians or other letters that he wrote, he would typically introduce himself as an apostle. He would say, an apostle of Jesus Christ. But in this letter, he introduces himself as a prisoner. He empties himself from the authority that comes from being an apostle. And instead, he identifies himself with the weak and the powerless. This is very important because next Sunday, um, if you check out the live stream or if you're present, we will see this person named Onesimus, and we won't spend time with him today. Um, but it's important that he identifies himself with the weak and the powerless. Paul refers to himself as a prisoner because that's what he was. He was a prisoner. People didn't like Paul's ministry. They didn't like that he was changing up the world with his message about Jesus. So they captured him and imprisoned him. Paul was in prison when he, he wrote this letter that we read. And although it might look like Paul was a prisoner of Caesar, a prisoner of the state, Paul recognized that he was a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Paul was in prison, not because of human decisions, not because of what the state had to say. Paul was in prison because of and at the direction of Jesus Christ. That's why he identifies himself as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Whenever I find the phrase Christ Jesus in the scriptures, I, I always think about like when people think, oh, um, you know, Christ is the last name of Jesus. But, but that's not the case. Christ is not the name of Jesus. And it looks odd here because Christ actually appears first before Jesus. Um, but Christ is actually a title. It's an honorific. It's like saying President uh, Biden or uh, saying King so-and-so. So whenever we say Christ Jesus, we are saying the Messiah Jesus. Christ is the Greek translation of the Jewish title Messiah. Therefore, by identifying himself as a prisoner of Christ Jesus, Paul was saying that he, a Jew, was identifying Jesus as the Jewish Messiah. And it's foundational to remember this. That's why in the very beginning, almost a year ago, I started with the Kingdom series so that we could understand the king idea that Jesus is king. He is the king who brings shalom, who brings peace and order to this world. Paul saw Jesus this way, and he was willing to be a prisoner for this king. And although he was an apostle for Christ Jesus, Paul wrote this letter to Philemon, not so much as an apostle, but as a friend in Christ. He wrote this letter to the family of Philemon and the church that met at his house. But he uses this second per person singular, you, instead of you also. We know that he's talking to a specific person. So while this letter is written for the entire church, he, he was primarily writing to Philemon. And let's write this, draw this individual. I am going to make this a little bit bigger so we have some room. Okay, so we have this other character. His name is Philemon. Okay, and he's the recipient of the letter. That's why the letter is called Philemon. Okay. 
he had a he had a big house. Um, he, he also had a guest room. He had slaves, and we'll talk more about slavery in the Roman world next time. Um, but for now, just note that Philemon, he was, we could say, he had, he had money. He was wealthy. He was well off. And he also had, as I said, a big house. Okay? And this is my beautiful house. Okay? And Philemon had become a Christian under the ministry of Paul. He had a good relationship with him. Paul considers him a fellow worker in the gospel. They both worked together in spreading the message of God. Philemon did not allow his wealth to keep him in the background. He was actively involved in the mission of the church. And there were also other characters that we read about within the first verses that we read. We heard about Aphia and Archippus, and they're probably part of Philemon's family. Um, Aphia was Philemon's wife, and Archippus, their son. And they had a church like us. They met within the house of Philemon. And I was reading this a couple weeks back when we had our second service, and I'm like, I'm like look, that's, that's us <laughs> meeting within uh, homes. And it's kind of cool to see how things work out this series. We, we planned it like last year, and we didn't think about meeting in the Royals residency then. Um, but here we are, and now we're reading about Christians who met at Philemon's house. Um, the early church, they, they met and within homes because they didn't have buildings of their own back then. So they, they met in private homes like this one within Philemon. Philemon's house church probably consisted of the entire Colossian Christian community. The entire city would probably meet there, all the Christians there. There, there weren't probably that many Christians back then. And there were many other house churches that met, and they were all united in Christ. And it's crazy how God started this movement. It started without, within homes. In this letter, he is primarily, Paul is primarily writing to Philemon, but he also addresses the church that meets at Philemon's house. This letter, while it is very personal, it's between Paul and Philemon. It's not just between them, however. He also mentions the church, the church that meets at Philemon's house. It's personal, it's between Paul and Philemon, but it's not private. The entire church is involved in what is taking place in the life of Philemon. If this happened during our time, if a church leader, say, was sending us a letter, I know we don't send letters anymore, but let's say he was or she was, and the church leader was saying specifically something about you, but involved the entire church, we would be like, hey, hold on. We, we don't need to involve the entire church with this. But that's what Paul is doing. He's involving the entire church with this personal matter. And I know that some of us have been affected by gossip, hurt by gossip, and therefore we, we have reasons to fear involving the church. But involving the entire church was important for Paul here. We see here what we could think. Why, why does Paul involve the entire church on what appears to be a private matter? This seems to be a letter just for Philemon. Well, Paul sees and believes that 
Philemon's two households, his, his, his natural and spiritual life, his private and public life, that they were intersecting. The appeal that Paul makes to Philemon is, in this letter is, is not just for Philemon. It's for the entire church. The church needs to help Philemon with the request that Paul is going to make in this letter. Although we should not gossip, private matters sometimes need the support of a public community. It takes a team. It takes a family. It takes a community, it takes a village sometimes to change personal things. I, I know we don't like it at, to hear it at times. I, we are so individualistic. We want to do it by ourselves. But sometimes we need a community. We need one another. God sees a purpose within the body of Christ, within the family of God. In, in fact, within this letter, you'll see it repeatedly, this theme of family. This, this is a personal letter. It's between Paul and Philemon and Onesimus, um, which we'll look at that character later. But even though it's between them, it involves the entire family. That's why we see Paul reference Timothy as a brother in Christ and Aphia as our sister in Christ and God as our father. We need the strength of God's family to do what he has called us to do. Philemon and the family of God met at a house church, meeting at home, meeting within a garage. It really communicates this idea of being a family. And we, like Philemon, are a family because God is our Father. You know, we might just think of our family as one's immediate family. And to be honest, families are getting smaller and smaller. But the message that churches have is, is different. Your family is not just those who share your last name, who have the same blood as you know. Your family is whoever is in Christ as well. We are family. Everyone who follows Christ is my brother and my sister. And is also your brother and your sister. This family, it transcends ethnic boundaries. We have brothers and sisters on the other side of the world. And we are all building each other up so that we can do the will of our Heavenly Father. The Western ideal of individualism and self-sufficiency that, that I got this all by myself is challenged by this letter. Many have lost a sense within the church. They, they think that this Christian thing you, you do while you should take personal responsibility, we all need one another. Christians are not alone. A person once said, when we are joined to Christ, we are joined to one another. And this is a blessing. It's not a bad thing. Together, I, I think I can learn so much from each of you and you can learn from one another and, and together we could have a greater understanding of truth, of, of grace. Together we, we can better love and better forgive. And that, that's really what a healthy church looks like. It, it's a family with relationships with one another. If 
I want to look at like a healthy church. I would ask the question, tell me, tell me the state of social relationships within the church. Tell me how that looks like. The church is much more than an association of people that, that just gather because they have similar beliefs. No, the church is a family. And that's how Paul saw it as we read. That means that as, as the actions of one individual affects a family, we know that a cousin does something, it affects the entire family. The actions of one church member affects the entire church family. Paul allows Philemon to make his own choice. But Paul recognizes that the choices of Philemon will affect the entire house church, the church family. Your actions will affect this community of faith. It matters what you do. There are repercussions to your actions which affect this church if you are in sorrow, we will be in sorrow with you. If you are rejoicing, we will rejoice with you. How you respond, to be honest, because we are a family, will affect our spiritual health. It matters greatly whether you show love or disdain for others. It matters a lot whether you refresh the hearts of the saints or if you drain the hearts of the saints. If you act selflessly or selfishly, it matters deeply. We are a family. And it might seem that you're making a decision on your own, but in reality, you're not alone. It is wise to seek help. Left alone, we're more likely to make the wrong decision. But if we ask for help from those who are committed to Christ and who pray together, we are more likely to do the will of our Father. Verse 3. Paul, within this verse, as he typically does in his greetings, he gives a benediction, a blessing. He said, grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. These words... You see them often if you read your Bible, especially if you read the New Testament. These words are not meaningless. They, they were intentional words that would remind Philemon of what he had experienced. Philemon had experienced God's peace if he did what Paul requested from him. We'll, we'll look at the request next week. But for now, recognize the two benefits that derive from the gospel. He had grace and peace. In God's grace, Philemon had received the free and unmerited gift of God's Son, Jesus Christ. He had received salvation. In God's peace, Philemon had experienced the power of Jesus, which had made him whole. And that's what the message of Jesus does. We can experience peace because of God's grace. And this is a work of both God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. As Paul wrote, as we know, God sent his son so that we could have salvation. Therefore, we can have peace from God, our Father, and Jesus Christ. This is the work of both of them. And then, for the last section of our time together, I want to look at 4 through 7. We see Paul transition from the introduction, where he's introducing himself, he, he now transitions to this prayer, which includes a thanksgiving, which is very customary in the letters of Paul. 
In this prayer, we, we see Paul express that he is thankful for Philemon, that we see him constantly thank Philemon when he prays for him. Paul explains why he prays for him. He tells Philemon what exactly he is praying for. Within this prayer, there, there's no doubt that Philemon was a much-loved figure in the Christian community. Paul knew Philemon personally, and Paul's prayer demonstrated that he had, a pos- he had positive and happy memories about Philemon. Philemon was an easy person to be thankful for. Paul would remember Philemon and give thanks for him. So we could write right here that, this, that he was thankful for Philemon. Thankful for Philemon. He was thankful for what Philemon had done. And here, remembering is not just a mental activity of recalling somebody. Remembering here means speaking to God to consider them and act for their benefit. I think it's a good practice for us to remember each other when we pray. When we pray for each other, when we're, whenever we have our devotional time, we should pray for one another, just as Paul does with Philemon. In this prayer that Paul prays, he evokes the Psalms. He, he says, my God, and, and he said, my God, and when he was praying to God, he, he gave thanks to Philemon. And as we see in verse 5, the reason that Paul would give thanks to God before Philemon was that Paul heard about the love for all his people, the love that Philemon had, and the faith that he had in Lord Jesus. He had faith in Jesus Christ, and he had love for the people of God. These are admirable qualities. The word for love is in the Greek, is this word that you've probably heard it already before in some other Christian circles um, or in, within this church too. It's agape. And then he, we, he also uses this word for faith, which is pistis. Okay? Agape. Agape is the word for love, and pistis is the word for faith. And we've already heard the word love before, because when, he ref- when Paul refers to Philemon, he calls him beloved. In the older translations, it refers to Philemon as beloved. And it, it comes from the same word as agape. In this, in this letter, we're going to see that love, that agape, is, is key, is important to the Christian faith in making decisions. And so is pistis. So, we see here that, that Philemon, he had agape, he had love for the church, for the holy ones. And holy ones are anyone, is anyone who, who follows Christ. And we also see pistis. Pistis is faith, and he had faith in the work of Jesus Christ and who he was. He trusted in Jesus Christ. And I, I think that these two marks, the mark of agape, of love, and the mark of pistis, of, of faith, these are two marks that every Christian should have. Every Christian should believe in Jesus Christ. 
But and I, I think we get that point. But I, I feel the thing that we miss is usually this agape part, the love for the church, the love for the people of God. Christianity is not just affirming some theory, some, some statement of faith. No, Christianity is about living out the reality of what it means to have faith in Christ. We don't just believe in God, but we also love his people. And his people are imperfect, but we are supposed to love them. We should love one, one another. And that's what Philemon was known for. He was known for his agape for the church and his pistis for Jesus. And we will see Paul appeal to Philemon's agape, to his love, because as Christians, we should all act out of love. And even though Philemon was doing well, he, had, he was known for good things, he, he had room to grow. Even though he believed in Jesus and the good news, there's always room to grow. So Paul prayed that their partnership in the faith may be effective. And there's another key word, partnership. Partnership comes from the Greek word koinonia. And again, this, this word is pretty popular too within some Christian circles. Koinonia. You could see in different translations like what, what this word conveys. It conveys partnership. It can also convey this idea of something being shared. It could also be like an association or a fellowship. And, and that's usually how we refer to it as a fellowship. And we have koinonia with the church. We, we, whenever you become a follower of Christ, you, you become part of this partnership of the koinonia, of the fellowship, of the faith. And Paul refers to that here. You're, you're not by yourself. And, and this partnership is important because through it, you can grow as a person, as a follower of Christ. God gave partnership. God gave koinonia for our good. Paul said, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. As a church, we are supposed to help one another. And we do that so we could know every good thing, understand the good that God has for us. And that's what this letter is all about. Paul is helping Philemon understand through this partnership. Paul is helping Philemon understand every good thing. And that's what discipleship is all about. Paul is helping Philemon be a better disciple of Christ. That's the role of the church. We use koinonia, we use fellowship so that we could disciple so that we could be better followers of Christ. And part of discipleship is knowing what to do. Every good thing. And automatically, when you believe in Christ, you, you identi identify yourself as the part of this koinonia, as part of this association. And because you're part of this partnership, you have a responsibility as I do. You have the responsibility to help me grow, to help your brother grow, 
to help your sister grow. We all have the responsibility to help one another. It, this, this word koinonia, it, it conveys this sense of mutual participation. The pastor is not the only one who is active. Neither are the worship leaders. No, everyone in the koinonia, every believer has a role to play. In the grand scheme of things, we are in koinonia, in partnership. We are united to do the will of Christ here on this earth. We are all in this together, as a high school musical would say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, we, 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 we have fallen, but Jesus has redeemed us. And God works through partnerships, through the koinonia of the faith, of the pistis. Each person plays a role. We, we give of our time, of our finances to support. We pray. We do personal evangelism or, or counseling or forgiveness or just being the light to other people. We all have a role to play. And we end with verse 7, where Paul again demonstrates that he is grateful for Philemon. Paul is grateful for Philemon, for his agape, for his love. And, and I, I hope we could say this, and it hopefully it has been the case, that we could go to our rooms and just pray for each other and say, I, I'm thankful for Luis's love. I, I, I'm thankful for Vanessa's faith. And I also hope that we could say that we refresh the hearts of the saints. Of the saints. That's what Philemon did. I wish we could say that we refresh the hearts of God's people. We, we need people. We need to be like Philemon in this sense. We need to have the goal of, of refreshing hearts like Philemon did of God's people. Refresh. What, what, what do you think about when you hear that word, refresh? Maybe you think about a website on your phone because it's not working and you just have to refresh it so it could be updated. Or maybe it's a hot day and you want to drink some water and that could be refreshing. But that feeling, that, that sense of something being new and just having that refreshing feeling, that, that's what Philemon was doing to the hearts of God's people. Philemon's ministry wasn't superficial. It actually dealt with the hearts of people. It's easy to round up people, to get them excited, to, make the, to have a crowd, but it's harder to deal with the heart, to refresh the hearts of the Lord's people. But that is exactly what Philemon did. And I, I believe that's what we should all strive to do. The church should be full of people who refresh the hearts of one another. We have spent time looking at Paul, at Philemon, at the church. And we see that this is a small letter, but it's an amazing letter. And I present two takeaways as we end our time together. One, Jesus changes lives. He changed the life of Paul from a murderer to a life-giving le leader. He changed Philemon. 
to be a person who refreshed the heart of God's people. People should be like this. They should be loving, refreshing the hearts of God's people. But, and, and that's how it was in the beginning. They, people were in harmony with one another. And they were in harmony with God, but because they failed, because they rebelled against God, ever since that moment, humans have been fighting with each other, hating each other, war, fights, things of that sort. But Jesus, he came and he redeemed us. And slowly and slowly, humans are learning to love one another. And through faith, through pistis in Jesus, we, we begin to be people who we are supposed to be and begin to have love for God's people. We need faith, we need pistis and agape. So we could experience the power of God. So I hope you make that decision of following Jesus. He does change lives as we see. Um, and when you believe, if you've already believed and decided to be a follower of Christ, you, you become part of the church. You, when you join Christ, you join one another. The family of God, the koinonia of God, you, you, you play a role in this family. And this includes you, your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. We, we all play a role in our life. And I want to end with these two questions. I want you to consider how, how can, the first question, how can the church help me in the situation that I'm going through? How can Encounter Church help you in the situation that you're in? How can the family of God help you? And the second one is this. How can I help the family of Christ? How can I, how can you be like Philemon and the hearts of God's people? I hope that you take some time to think about that and pray about that and put an action plan and set in. And let me know, let somebody else know how, how we could help you do that and fulfill that. We, we are family. We are family and we are here for one another. That's all. Heavenly Father, thank you for meeting with us. And I pray that your spirits may help all of us understand that Jesus changes everything. It changes how we relate to people and how we relate to God. Now we could freely approach God and experience grace and peace. And now we could freely love people and know that we have another family, that we have people with us. Remind us that we don't have to do things on our own, that we're not all alone, but that we are part of a family. And this family could help us with whatever we're going through. You have put us within a family. You have joined us with one another for a reason. Let us be reminded of that. Lord, help us be better family members to one another. Help us be better brothers, better sisters to one another. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.